This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Okay, so we, we part doing a series on Is There Not a Cause? Is There Not a Cause? And so the context that we started with last week, and I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for your word that brings entrance, that is life, that cuts between our souls and our spirits. Lord, we thank you for the freedom we have in this nation to worship you like this and to sit under your word. Lord, we've not come to church. we just gathering as the church to be the church. Lord, your word is incorruptible. Let the light of your word shine on us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you'll inspire and reveal and bring the freedom of Christ. Thank you, Lord, that as we submit to your word, our lives change. Lord, there's no greater truth than your word, than your voice in our lives. Come and speak to us. Holy Spirit, you are the teacher here tonight. You're the guest of honor. Come and set the captives free. We pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. How many of you were here last week? Raise your hands. Okay. How many of you are not here last week? That's the rest of you. Okay. This is not a repentance session. I just want to check how much I must repeat. But 1 Samuel 17, verse 28, verse 30. This is David coming to this battleground where Saul, King Saul, the chosen guy of the people, the good-looking guy, he was there. All the Jewish army was there. Everyone was in great fear. Everyone was hiding away because there was one little big guy there called Goliath. We've all heard that story. Yeah, and so here David comes onto the scene and he's bringing food to his brothers. Uh, we saw a couple of chapters before that, that uh, there was a lineup of the choice of God's new king for Israel. And uh, David wasn't even, he didn't even qualify for the lineup. His father, the Samuel the prophet, said, bring all your sons. And then the father brings all the sons except David. David is out in the field. Great rejection. Great fear of failure. Not the choice of even his own father. I, I can just imagine the things in David's head. The voices. You're not good enough. You're not even, your own father doesn't even choose you. And so here he comes on the scene and then Eliab, his oldest brother, Heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And then he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And then David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? And then he turned from him to another, and he said the same thing. These people answered him as the first one did. So he goes around, he says, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Why are you so afraid? Because fear will cripple you to do anything for God or in your life. Fear makes you like, yo, it just, it just wastes your life if you operate in fear. Many people come to God and they have a negative fear. There's a positive fear where we have to fear God. But if you're always going to think like, I'm going to miss God. God hasn't really, hasn't chosen me. And so Eliab, the brother, attacks and accuses David, but he does three things. The first thing is he says, why did you come down here? Meaning, you don't belong here. You don't belong here. That's what the devil always says, because the fight for the world and all the identity politics, everything that's going on in the world is all about belonging. And if you 
have an orphan spirit or a slave spirit and not the spirit of sonship or daughtership, daughterhood, then that thing is going to minister to you all the time. You'll even come here tonight and then something is going to tell you, you don't belong here. You're not, you're not worthy. You're not welcome here. You're not welcome in the presence of God. You're not welcome with the people of God. Because belonging is one of the greatest drives. We want identity. But any identity outside of Christ is going to fail you. Because those same people that put you on the pedestal are the same people that will pluck you from that pedestal. So yeah, maybe you think you're cool right now. Maybe you think the people you're hanging out is very cool, but they will drop you. Why? Because they don't have unconditional love. And they are going to look for belonging themselves. And so we know that in the righteousness of Christ, in the fullness of Christ, you find an identity. So the first thing is always, the attack is always about belonging. And so I said it this morning, but church isn't an event. We're not here to entertain you tonight. We are here because we're the family of God, seeking the will of God and the glory of God. And so that's so exciting when we do it together with a bunch of other broken people, but they're your family. That's why you should belong to a local church where you can serve and where you can see other broken people and where once it's not going well with you, then they can pray for you, but so that you can minister to them when it's not going well with them. We're so nice, you know, just through this lockdown, a lot of people, families lost their jobs here in church. And the amazing thing is every time I got to that family, there were already five other families that were either bringing food, praying for them, and most of those people, I think only one family out of the almost 20, have gotten a job supernaturally by the family of God taking care for those families. Wow, what a testimony. Because that's the family of God. But if you just see this as an event, this gathering as an event, you're, always, you're, not, you're going to fall short of the, the blessing and the grace and the abundance of God. Because we have a spiritual family. And it's more real than your natural family. Because why? There's something that binds us together. It's the cause of Christ. The second thing that he comes to, and the brother says this, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? What are you doing? It's just so insignificant. Those few sheepies. You know? Sheepy, sheepy. And then he started to sing a sheepy song, you know? Just like, what are you doing? You know, you're just so insignificant. Belonging, significance. That's the second thing that the world is going at. They call it success. But significance is only in the will of God. It's only when we follow God, when we're satisfied in God. And then comes the big one, the third one, the accusation. Oh, I know the pride and the insolence of your heart. I know the motives of your heart. You're just a baddie. Now, 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 hey, this is his own brother speaking this. <laughs> you know, it's like I said it last week. It's, it's crazy if it's somebody out there shouting it or putting on Facebook, oh, I hate him, you know. Oh, I don't like her. She's just a so-and-so. It's very different when it's somebody close to you. And some of you have got that voices in your head, and we're going to pray tonight for deliverance. That voices is going to stop. Amen. Because that's what Jesus does. That's what the blood of Jesus does. And so we went uh, with the youth coaches up to Live Village. It's beautiful. We showed the vi video last, last week. And something that really struck me is when we got there, they've got like a whole list of 
things that they say you are not allowed to do when you go and minister in an orphanage. You know, because here we're going up, we are excited, and I told you about the testimony and the fruit. The pr principal was here, a student, uh, two pa the pastor, the other pastor, his wife was here in church, the CEO of Live Village was here in church. They're all students just here, and they heard the call of God, and now they're out there just doing amazing stuff for God. You know, their head intercessor was here in church. Yeah? So it was like a family gathering at this Live Village in Natal, an orphanage of 250 children. But now they sent this list through, and one of the lists that really struck me was the fact that they said you are not allowed to emotionally engage with the children or to have any attachment to them because you're going to break their hearts because they're going to create an expectation that maybe you're going to take them home. Maybe they're going to belong somewhere. Maybe they're going to be significant. Some Those things. So you're not allowed to minister emotionally to them. You can make food and play games, but you must be very careful because so many teams come for two or three days and then they bond with the children and then do you know what they do? They leave. And those children have put up their expectations, but then they're abandoned again. Illegitimate again. Today is National Orphanage Day. We had this morning, that's why some of you must come to the morning service, a lady testifying of she was an orphan, Eugene's wife, and how she was adopted. Another lady, they adopted a, a kid, Izel. Beautiful stories of adoption. One of the amazing stories, we did a, a social, and I don't know if Kenny and them are here, the Alberts family, or any of you here? Well, there's some of the son and the daughter. And uh, there was a story of where we reached out to the community, and then we found a baby in a black bag next, they found a baby in the black bag next to the Easter River. And um, was in hospital, so the team went to visit the hospital. And then one of the ladies that Sunday morning told the story in church and said, look here, our community is like lost. There's people throwing kids away. And then this couple, their parents, went to the hospital. Beautiful testimony. Adopted the child. And that child is like this big already. Was it this big? This big? This big? Sure. He's very stout, but great. Yeah? <laughs> It's amazing, just one, somebody shared, yeah, hey, there's somebody in need there, and then a couple went and said, we're going to adopt that kid. It came by a bit of a surprise, you must go, I'll ask them to share that testimony. But so, so we have voices, you have, you have stuff, and that's exactly what David had to face. But David doesn't say, oh, Eliab, you are completely right, this is, this, is, you, this is so true, this is, you know, everything you're saying is true. He goes and he says, is there not a cause? Is, is there not something bigger than my, even my own wounds and the stuff that you're accusing me of? Because these are very vile, very nasty accusations. Most of them are not true. Is there not a cause? That's what he's asking. But you must know that as you pursue and walk in this relationship with God, there's always going to be a challenge on belonging, significance, and the motivation of your heart. 
And so this is what we shared last week is the kingdom of God. When, whatever we seek, seek first the kingdom of God. If you, if you want to say yes to the cause of Christ, seek his kingdom. Say, Lord, I'm not going to pray for where I need, you know, how you're going to provide a job for me. Say, Lord, where do I need to go so that I can be part of church planting and there you're going to provide a job for me. Why? Because the kingdom comes first. I'm a citizen of heaven. I've got a passport. That's what I showed you last week, you know. And that passport, whenever I go overseas, there's, I don't know if that guy's here. Last year we went to Indonesia and he lost his passport after I 20 times said to people, don't lose your passport. And then on the airplane in Johannesburg, as we came off the airplane, I asked again, do you all have your passports? And this one guy was standing right in front of me and says, yes. <laughs> but you know, we get some of those dreamers. They're out there. If you have a mission team of about 17 people, there's always four dreamers. They're, they're out there ones. They, they tell you, but their screensavers are on most of the time. So this guy was standing there. So we got to the car park. Oops. What? Passport. Where? Airplane. Go fetch it gone <laughs> yeah. so the next day we were flying out to indonesia and we tried everything oh we and then praise god for miracles i mean so 10 minutes before we went through the gates already booked in everything here this guy comes because the airplane already went the next morning to durban came back somebody picked up the passport in the pocket in front and hallelujah literally 10 minutes as we're walking through he comes with the passport Whew, he ate chilies the whole time. Okay, but in any case, so <clears throat> I made him suffer. So what needs to happen? And let me read you some scriptures in Galatians 3 verse 1 to 4. The greatest battle for the Christian is in your mind. What do you think? A.W. Tozer said, what do you think when you think about God? So if you, I always thought God is this man with the stick up there that he's just sin conscious and he's going to hit me over the head all the time. And so there's a blackboard, right? Not right. Good enough? Not good enough. It was always a, a competition. <laughs> always like, am I good enough for him? So your perception of God is going to determine how you respond to God. And therefore, at the center of what you need to do as a Christian is you need to learn to renew your mind. Colossians 3 verse 1 to 4, it says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ who is our life appears, you also will appear with him in glory. We read it this morning in, in the scripture. It says, meditate on that which is just and noble and praiseworthy. Meditate on those things. But if you are going to watch the news and the television and all that stuff and be on Facebook and all that time, there's, you know, there's an engineer appointed to make sure you like everything that that person gives to you. And it is fake news. It's a false identity. But we're falling in that trap as Christians because we spend so much time and we need renewing of our minds. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice to God. And in verse 2 it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we see many pastors, many people in the church, we, 
We're trying to conform to the world, to attract the world. But the scripture says, be transformed. Be changed. Live different. So you see, many pastors, you know, they have, I, I preached at this one place or sort of like shared this time with this one pastor. And he literally walked up with his pants down there and you could see his auntie un underwear. And I'm thinking like, must I buy you a belt? You know, I just wanted to go and pull everything up and say like, hey, this is not, you can't quote that scripture, we with unveiled, you know, pants seek the Lord, you know. And I'm thinking like, why do you want to attract the world with the things of the world? You will never be able to do that. But when you're authentic and real, people are so hungry for the real Jesus. But there's a transformation needed in your life. And that happens through the renewing of your mind, the way you think about God, the way you think about yourself, and the way you think about the purpose, the belonging, the identity, the significance, and the issues of your heart. And so Paul says, I want you to present yourself to God. Does it mean you must be perfect? No, but every day present yourself. Like they did in the Old Testament, they brought a sacrifice. You become that sacrifice. You become that one who worships the Lord. You become the one who surrenders. But see, what begins to happen is we harden our hearts. You think, oh, that's not cool. And somebody just thought that. There's somebody in this room tonight, you thought this. You thought Christianity is not cool. You thought, like, I've been there, I've tried that. But the reason why you are failing is because you're trying in your own strength. You can try all the list of confirmation, but it's just trying to not be like the world. That's not going to change. Transformation happens when you have a relationship with God. And you yield to Him and to the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at that a little bit later. Shake your neighbor and say, hey, he's warming up. He's going somewhere. First Peter 1 verse 13 to 14, we're talking about the issues of the mind, the issues of your heart. That's why scripture says, guard your heart above all things. Because this, this is what happens here, the, what you think when you go to bed at night, what you think, those fears, the voices, those things is going to determine how you're going to respond to God and how you're going to respond to the world. Do you belong? Are you significant? world says you must be successful. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. That's a specific word for somebody here. Soberity. Be sober. Woo! Let's just wait for conviction. Let it just come. He's not just talking about drugs and alcohol and all that stuff, but... What is the result of not being sober-minded? It means that somebody else has taken control of your mind. Somebody else is, has taken control of your emotions and your ability to respond. So there's a, there's a war going on for your life, for your mind, for your emotions. What's going on? There's a, there's a tug of war going on. <laughs> And it is so important that you know that every morning when you wake up. And that's why Peter says, and so many times he says, be vigilant, be sober. Why? Because if you're not sober and you're hanging around and you have five beers in, what happens? 
you can't make decisions anymore. Somebody else is going to take advantage of you. Ooh. Somebody else is going to take control of your life, of your body. Somebody else is going to abuse you. Somebody else. And there's only one that we can trust. That's Jesus. It's only one we can surrender to. That's why there's such a fight for the church in the West and the mind in the West. Because hey, we really think that church isn't really cool anymore. But it's never been about coolness. It's been about life. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So the world, it says, is ignorant. It's been enslaved. Just to go on and on. Busy, 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 busy. Distracted, distracted. Just go on and on and on. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Invites us, first by your mind, then by a lifestyle, a mindsetness towards Christ and His holiness. And it's not to steal your life, it's to give your life. You know, as we were at Live Village and Angus there on the farm, it was just crazy. People living over, that's over 70 years of age, and they said, God has given us a new mandate. We, we, we're going to do a revival train. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna build more orphanages up to a thousand kids. And I'm thinking like, hey, you're 70 years. But more passionate now than what they were 40 years ago. That's a testimony. Oh, we get many people that are very emotional. Jump up one week, one month, one year, and whoops, there they go again. Like the wind. Whoops, you know. Just like. What happened? You just like, like a balloon with the helium in. Hey, I need it. And then you think like, then it's gone. You have fun for a moment, but it's gone, you know? Why did I think about that example? It doesn't make sense. But in any case, <clears throat> just because my voice went like that, okay? Okay, give me some grace. But so, but when I'm at 70, I want to be on fire for Jesus. Say, bring it on, Lord. It's only the start. No retirement when you're a Christian. Come on. See, the devil lies to you. Fishing is boring when you're at the sea for the rest of your life, people. I've tried it. <laughs> Sorry, all the fishermen, but I'm like my mother-in-law. She, my father-in-law, he loves fishing, but she doesn't like fishing because it just takes too much time. So the introverts, they love fishing, but Nothing against fishing. So what she did is he was going down, and then he said, well, we're going to, we you know, he's not coming home unless he catches a fish, gets a big fish and brings a big fish home. So she walks down to the sea now, but, and she's on fire. She prays, whenever she prays, before she even starts to pray, I repent. <laughs> you know? Before I go home to visit, I repent. I, I've, I've cleansed my life, otherwise she'll get words of knowledge and words, you know, I'm... <laughs> Yeah, it's normally a deliverance session when I go home. It's normally, I think I must relax, but, but then I don't. But so, so here she goes down to the sea, and um, father is sitting there again. Cry nest. What's a cry nest? A crew nest, you know? Just that thing. That like, and then it's like, then you sit there like, and then it gets stuck. You know, I, I just, I don't have, I don't have the temperament. 
for fishing. But in any case, he loves it. So, and, but she's like me. She doesn't like that, you know. So she prays. She says, Lord, he told us that he's going to come home when he gets the fish. So she prays. The next moment, I tell not a lie. You were not there, so you can't say in any case. But <laughs> a fish eagle comes across with a big fish in its claws and it drops the fish in the tree. She gets up in the tree, <laughs> climbs up in the tree, gets the fish, takes it to him and says, now it's time for you to come home. Here's your fish, carry it on. <laughs> and I'm thinking like, Lord. <laughs> I've got a crazy mother. But so Acts 13 verse 21, and afterward they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king to whom all he gave testimony. And he said, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. So we spoke about that last week, about the house of Saul versus the house of David. The house of Saul being the flesh, the world. The people and Saul feared the people more than what he feared God. But, but that's the contention in the church, is the fleshly desires, the worldly stuff, the, the stuff that the world attracts us to. But, but David had a heart after God. His qualification was, his heart was surrendered to God. He, he was obedient, and we call it implicit obedience. And so my question is, what was the last obedience God has called you to do? Not 10 years ago, but last week, maybe he told you, go and pray for that person. Maybe he told you, just close your door and spend more time with him. No, no, but, but you know, I'm so distracted. I'm so busy. Huh? Obedience becomes our worship. And so this mind, it starts here. It starts in the way we think about God, the way we think about God's will for our lives. It's not to take away, but it's because he is alive. It's in a person. It's in Christ. So... Peter writes this, he says, Therefore it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him, that's on Jesus, will by no means be put to shame. Therefore to you believe he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. <laughs> Scary scripture. He says, Jesus is going to do one, or two things in your, one of two things in your life. He's either going to be precious because you realize like, wow, I've discovered life. I've discovered unconditional love. I've discovered a sense of belonging, identity, significance, a purpose. And it's not about me, it's about him. It's about knowing him. And, and I can walk in it. Why? Because more than that, he's forgiven me. He's cleansed my heart. So when that older brother comes and says, hey, you're so full of pride, you're so full of that, and they say, hey, go speak to Jesus. That's not what he says. But Jesus will become, to many, a stumbling stone which the builders has rejected or a rock of offense. If you preach the real Jesus, he will offend you. If you follow the real Jesus, he will offend you. But you and I have the choice always, and you can read this in Scripture. Go read it in Hebrews. It says, there's a stumbling stone. What is a stumbling stone? It's when I walk, and I'm thinking, I'm minding my own business, and then there's a stone in the way, and suddenly I realize, like, I can fall like this. 
and I almost hurt my teeth or my knees. A stumbling stone is you actually make a decision to humble yourself, to submit to the will of God because you can trust Him. But a rock of offense is a rock that falls on you, that crushes you. Why? Because of your hardened your heart. And that's the story of the Bible. There's a people that are hardening their hearts. And if you harden your heart because of your past, now you've got all the reason. And you still say no to the forgiveness of Christ, you are in sin. Because Jesus died to make provision, to give you a soft heart. To restore you. To make you free. No, but I'm offended, you know, because I prayed for that thing and it didn't happen. Wow. You're offended with Jesus? You have no right to make any demands on him because he's sinless. He could have just sat in heaven, receive all his worship, and say, Father, I think it's time that I become the judge. Because these people are hard-necked, they're stiff-necked, they're saying I don't exist, they blaspheme me, they say all these things. So I think, let's do a good Johannesburg lightning storm. But let's judge them thoroughly. Call down the angels. Let's finish this business because that's what they deserve. The wages of sin is death. But that's not what he prayed. He said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. Even they're hardening their hearts towards you and they're saying you don't exist, but Father, extend your mercy. And now for you and me, there's a time to say yes to that mercy. But one day he will come as the judge. One day he will come. And then it's not going to be a nice day, people. It's going to be, the Bible says it's going to be such a terrible day for those who don't know him that there will be a weeping and a gnashing of teeth. Do you know what a gnashing of teeth is? It's when your teeth begins to clutter against each other because of the terrible sight of God that you don't know. Because then he's not a little baby in a manger or a little person hanging on a cross. Then he's the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And then there's judgment and that's a real place. It's called hell. And I'm not trying to threaten you. I'm just saying there's an invitation. <laughs> and so many people are hardening their hearts. So many people are saying like, oh, you know, I don't really care. But you never know when it's your last day. You know, you can ask Peter, where is Peter, Nell, and Eva? Peter, the three of you, they're pregnant. Now, Peter, I don't, I'm not saying you're looking pregnant. Eva is pregnant, but you were part of that, so. Hallelujah. You know, there was a guy called, in this church, Seibrandt. Engelbrecht. And Saberant was engaged and he worked on his father's farm, potato farm. And Saberant just was everything, everything was for God. Ask Peter. Everything full out for God. 
So when the people wanted to do all the water stuff, Sabron said, no. We're going to pray. We're going to ask God where the water on this farm is. Peter, do you know that testimony? Come here quickly. Come and tell us how much water it was. Run, Peter, run. And so they prayed. Okay, but let him tell the testimony. Don't interrupt me like that, man. Okay, Peter, come and tell us. Um, yeah, so there was an uh, opportunity to plant some potatoes on, on his dad's farm. And uh, obviously he needed some water. Um, and then the traditional method to look for water is to obviously ask some guys to bring, a, well, sticks and stuff like that to... <laughs> It's, a, yeah, it's probably a form of divination, but in any case, um, and he just decided to know um, he's going to trust God to, to show us where the water is. And I was actually on the farm um, during that week, um, and yeah, he was fasting and praying and really trusting the, the Lord to show him where the water was. Um, yeah, and then we just drove past one place where there was a big ant, um, yip, and he said, no, I think I just get a sense it's, it's here. And we just went there to pray, and yeah, long story short, they, they got the drilled guys there to come and drill a boil, and it was quite a lot of water that came out. And, uh, yeah, a uh, good water for a good um, potato farm to, or, yeah, to, to be planted there. So, uh, yeah. Thanks, Peter. <laughs> I can't remember, but it was apparently three times more than the other boreholes on the whole farm. You know, when you trust God, when you step into that place, but, but say, Brunt, I remember one night it was raining here and I got a knock on the door. And he stood there and he just said, Yes, I just want to tell you that I love you. And he started to cry. He just gave me a hug. I said, like, what's the purpose for your coming? No, I just love you. I just want to tell you that. And God has told me to give everything away. For missions. The next, that week he gave 100,000 rand for missions. The next week, Sabron died. Became a seed. You see, life is real. You don't know. You can try and fix your life, but you don't know. God has numbered your days. Every day is a gift from him. So in 1 Peter 2, verse 6 to 10, the last two slides, let's rush. Therefore, it is also counted in Scripture. No, I already wrote that. Let's go on a little bit. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. Wow. You see, disobedience has got certain fruit in your life. But once you become obedient and you begin to say to God, God, I want to live for you. God, I realize that I am part of that chosen generation. I am part of royalty. I am part of a holy nation. I'm part of your special people. But I'm here for a specific purpose, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. <laughs> See, when God looks down at you and me, he says, we are the people of God. And a royal priesthood. And that means that you have a, 
You have an obligation towards Christ. Let me give you some scriptures. You can take it down if you want to. So what does that mean? What does it mean practically? What does it mean to renew your mind? It says, use your bodies, our whole lives, to display the worth of God and all that he is for us in Christ. Titus writes it, and he says, it's the spirit that renews the mind. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, and he says, it happens when we behold his glory, when we look up, not look inward. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.